Hello and welcome to Chatty AF, the anime feminist podcast. This is our winter mid-season check-in. My name is Bry Kaiser. I am a daily operations manager here at Anafem. I'm on Blue Sky at Ride of Rye, and with me today are Alex and Peter. Hello, everybody. Good to be back. I'm Alex, one of the managing editors here at Anifem. I'm also a recovering academic. Um, you can find me on Blue Sky at A.R. Henderson. I'm Peter Fobian. I'm an editor at Anime Feminist. I'm a YouTube uh, manager of strategy at Crunchyroll, and I'm uh, Peter Fobian on Blue Sky. Thank you, thank you. Now, if this is your first time joining us for one of our seasonal casts, uh, just as a reminder... We go, vol- uh, we go following our premiere digest that we set up at the beginning of the season. Sometimes shows will have changed uh, sort of position from where they were based on that assessment of their first episode or two. You know, we also have a three-episode check-in. But we continue to use the premiere digest order just because it's easy to reference. Like, it's an existing list that people can look at and keep track of. Uh, we're actually going to start in yellow flags this time because there's not, there's not really much to add for the red flags, uh, category. I dropped Foolish Angel Dances with the Devil three episodes in, uh, because it was, besides the kink elements, which I feel like the show was a little too mired in having them be non-consensual as the only way it could figure out to get the characters into them, uh, which is a bummer. Uh, and beyond that, it was kind of discount Kaguya-sama, which could be enjoyable, but there's just a lot of other stuff to watch this season. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. It's, yeah, uh, Yeah. And The Witch and the Beast is kind of puttering along doing what it was doing when we noted it uh, in episode three, although, Peter, you mentioned that there haven't been any more forced kisses since that premiere, which is nice. Yeah. I'm sure I'll have something to say at the end of season, but right now, uh, I don't think there's anything... There's no significant updates. All right, let's go on to Buchigiri, which uh, Peter, you and I are both watching, and so is uh, Caitlin off screen from us. Yeah, uh, are you are you an Utsumi person? Uh, like a fan? Yeah. Uh, aspects of Utsumi, I'd say. I I like. Yeah, yeah. There are things I like. Uh, some stuff. I I don't want to say I'm not a fan. I'm just not particularly interested in. Um, mm. So I think I think Bucciguri is kind of representative. I definitely think it's like really bombastic. I love all the character designs. Uh, love the like energy and the sense of humor and stuff. Although I find the plot, uh, it feels like I'm watching Tokyo Revengers now. Actually, uh, so I wasn't expecting that. I mean, I guess broadly in that it is about a school gang war. Yeah, well, also the aspect where there's like one guy who's starting a fight with two other gangs uh, so that he can come in and defeat both of them because of a single negative event he had with one of them that drove him absolutely insane uh, (laughs) and caused him to decide to like kill everyone. uh, You know how high school is. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> formative, <laughs> formative period, I guess. It's doing it with a lot more bombast than Tokyo Revengers was for sure. Now that he's he's got like I don't know an idol group that uh, performs honeypot performances so that he can recruit people into his gang, and of course people being possessed by Dijin that give you a tramp stamp. Um, but so I 
there's obviously a lot of stuff is about to happen, um, but up until now, it's kind of been playing uh, very, uh, I guess, straight with its premise, dare I say. Ha, ha, ha. Yeah, I don't know, right? Do you have any I, strong feelings? I, meh. I, so I'm, like, semi-neutral. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I, I like, I, um, I watched and enjoyed the first season of Free, but never did watch the, the second season. Um, similarly, I just kind of, I liked Skate well enough, but I was watching other stuff, so I never quite managed to finish it. I don't, I pretty much don't count Banana Fish because she was so tightly bound by the producer um, who really wanted to keep it exactingly faithful to the manga, which still bums me out. Um, But so like, I I like the things that she does well. Like you said, I I like, she has a really great eye for action um, and solid comedic timing when the joke isn't lol gay. (laughs) Um, I, I think the colors that she uses in her shows are really amazing. She's kind of, for me, she kind of sits in the same pocket um, as Kojima as ter- in terms of, like, auteurs who I'm really glad are out there doing their weird little thing mm-hmm. because I love what artists get to do their extremely idiosyncratic stuff that they're clearly passionate about. But also, at least as of with as of Buchigiri, and obviously this is different um, for a woman creator um, versus a guy just in terms of what she'd naturally have to be pushing against to get stuff made um, but I think I don't know something about Buchigiri's production says to me she needs somebody who can push back against her in a productive way not somebody who just tells her no yeah. because I'm sure she's faced a lot of that in career in her career but somebody who can who says, hey, I know you like this trope a lot, but maybe it's not. Maybe you have stuffed too many of the tropes that you like into one package and they're all fighting against each other and it's really loud and it's not making a cohesive story that doesn't feel exhausting to watch. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think um, uh, definitely somebody to kind of keep things on course. Uh because it does seem like a lot of the things that have happened was just because <laughs> it, it, you get the feeling the director finds that entertaining. So that's why they're there. <laughs> yeah. And it's also, it's I, I think Caitlin mentioned this in her three-episode write-up, but it is getting to the point now where you always try to give artists who write a lot of homoeroticism into their anime grace because we know, um, you know, whether it's the... Which from Mercury situation or um, Sayo Yamamoto talking about having to put her foot down uh, with Yuri on ice and then disappearing from the industry for the past seven years, that there there's still um, a lot of censorship as far as depicting queerness in non-Yuri and BL projects. But I don't know. I, I feel like I've reached a tipping point where it's to me, please stop stop just what do i want to say i need a second um she she overwhelmingly seems to like including homoeroticism in her work but as like a punchline um and it's starting to bum me out i i will say that when i heard that you know the the premise for this was uh our protagonist who sucks so bad and i hate him punches dudes and then they fall in love with him uh, it's not as assaulty as I feared it would be. Um, so, you know, star for that. But I don't know. I, 
it's weird because I'm so frustrated with this. The female, the two female characters that we have suck a lot and I do hate them. Like we've got our protagonist's mom who is way too invested in his sex life and uh, he uh, constantly shits on her. And we have uh, the, the, the teenage girl who's uh, manipulate, who's chronically manipulative and also wants to fuck her brother. And has a horrible hairstyle that I hate. <laughs> like, that's that's a bummer. And yet, I say all this, but at the same time, Utsumi's so talented in terms of, like, visual flow. This is a compulsively watchable show. I And obviously, I'm not even getting into, because I shouldn't, um, all the conversations to be had around this show and um, its use of... Uh, Arabic imagery and, you know, graffiti and um, street culture and whether or not that's appropriative. It's just a whole thing. And I wouldn't even call it emblematic of Utsumi. I think it's... I think it does a disservice to what she does well because it's... It's like too many of her pet favorite things but not at the height of what she does... I, I think I would suggest people watch Skate the Infinity or the first season of Free over this. And probably, like, Caitlin, who is uh, the biggest Utsumi fan, is not super into this one. And I feel like that says a lot. I think Skate definitely, uh, the main character isn't so just kind of aggressively uh, uh, shitty and a uh, coward. Yeah. <laughs> so it, it isn't it like... You feel like it's going to turn around at some point, Bucci Giddy, but in the meantime, it's just like uh, the the starting point for the main character in Skate is just much more enjoyable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's running out of time. It's running out yeah, of time is, for yes. Arjun to suck less, frankly. And like, it's <laughs> I'm not a fan of horn dog protagonists, but he's a horn dog protagonist who also is completely. It's I know it's supposed to be implying that he feels like this deep debilitating guilt over you know running away when uh when his childhood bestie was getting beat up and not doing anything but i don't care because we're halfway into the show and he hasn't done anything for anybody when he besides literally being led around by his dick yeah this this show in metallic rouge i'm I'm feeling i'm just like you're running out of time (laughs) you gotta you gotta start doing stuff yeah yeah Yeah. um so yeah i i Glad Sumi's working. I hope she gets another show to work on after this. Yeah. I think that this show is a mess. <laughs> yeah. It is really nice to look at. I, I have to, If I have to say one thing about Utsumi, though, it's just I'm... I am glad that these things exist just because they have interesting male character designs. Uh, because, God, so many shows it's just a dude with short black hair. Uh, <laughs> and that... I'm so bored of that. They're getting really hard to tell apart. <laughs> I'm... I'm very the, appreciative the, the, yeah. that these guys look yeah. interesting. Though that said, the main character in this one is a guy with short black hair. At least in style. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So close. Mm-hmm. Um, is there anything to say about Wrong Way to Use Healing Magic? Um, I actually just want to say I, I'm kind of really enjoying it. I think it's avoided a lot of the usual isekai pitfalls. Uh, the main character's mentor is a, a very... Um, tall uh 
very like strong woman who's apparently uh, very I don't know kind of like intimidating to other people but uh, she seems like a very developed character um, she's actively kind of influencing his outlook and teaching him how to become like a better warrior I don't know if there's like really like first responders or something might uh, have a particular appeal for this anime since that's kind of what she acts as in addition to being a fighter uh, and I also think he was isekai with, uh, like, the two, the top girl and guy in his class, um, who are both kind of fun characters. I think the guy's take, kind of taking a backseat, but the girl's also fun. Uh, it's one of those scenarios where I think the, the main dude felt very, like, he wasn't good at anything in life. He was kind of bottom of the class, somewhere down there. Didn't really stand out. So in the isekai, he's got, I guess it's kind of like the male power fantasy where he's, uh, he is finding a role for himself, although it's not something that he was naturally good at. He's actually having to work really hard, uh, but he's glad to have direction. Uh, and the girl was uh, very high-performing, but felt very like claustrophobic in all of the expectations that she had on her. And she was really into like uh, RPGs like Dragon Quest and stuff. Uh, and this world kind of appealed to all the sensibilities that she was forced to ignore uh, to be... Uh, I don't know, perfect uh, all the time. So uh, I feel, and they haven't really done any uh, of the usual bad stuff either. So I, I feel like the, the I, I can't remember either of the names. Main guy's great. Main girl's great. I think Rose is uh, a really cool character idea. Um, so it's it's been pretty entertaining. I'm sure somebody's going to point out something bad it's doing that I forgot it, but I'm really enjoying myself. <laughs> Right. The, the bar is in hell for the genre. So enjoyable and not actively doing something terrible. Sometimes, you know, that's that's not a bad thing. <laughs> yeah. And Rose is very good. Nice. All right. Nobody is watching Weakest Tamer. Um, this has been quite a season for the crew. Uh, just a peek behind the scenes. So I think uh, Cy really liked the the first episode of that one, but maybe fell off. Uh, however, Alex, you have been really enjoying Villainous Level 99. I have indeed. Um, kind of unexpectedly. I think that it's not going to be for everyone because a lot of the humor kind of relies on the protagonist being very deadpan in her delivery. Not because she doesn't care and is a very, like, emotionless person, but I... Okay, I'm it's not my business, I don't think, to make a call about whether or not, like, an anime character is, like, neurodivergent coded, or least of all, neurodivergent representation. But I will take this point to steal a joke from my friend who I'm watching this with, who said, everyone's worried about her dark magic, but I think her real superpower is gaming and autism. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and, look, she's. I find her very endearing. She's very, like, she's very, very good at the things that she is good at. I think the mention that I made in the three episode checking was that she's, you know, she's very good at playing sort of four dimensional emotional chess in terms of like working out what people are interested politically and like the social strata of kind of all the nobility and stuff at the school she's at. But with something like a conversation with one of her classmates, she's like, all right, and now I will go to what I know about this, which is you got to say, yes, that sounds interesting. Wow, that's really cool. Like, you just got to keep them talking and they'll think that you like them and it'll be good for you. Like, she's very, like, she's a bit more out of her depth um, and kind of relying on whatever social script she can get her hands on in terms of more day-to-day -day interactions. Um, 
But she's making friends. Uh, it's it's setting up, I think, and this is mostly foregrounded in the opening animation, which I think is very sweet, that she's the strongest person alive in this world, basically, and she's met a boy who genuinely thinks that's really cool um, and, like, wants to work with her and gets all kind of, like, blushy and endeared whenever she does something terrifying. Um, <laughs> And I don't know, I, it's it's not gonna blow your socks off, I don't think, but it's 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 fun and it has some fun dynamics and it's got, you know, a little bit of plot and intrigue happening. Like sometimes you'll have these sort of isekai shows with a villainess or another power fantasy or another genre, whatever it may be, where everything's kind of just like easy for the protagonist from the get-go and there's no kind of like questions or mystery about what is going on around them, but... I don't know, there's some stuff going on. You're sort of like, there's some characters. You're thinking, okay, what's your motivation? Are you manipulating this girl? What do you want? Why are your powers like that? You know, what's the dealio with the Otome game's original protagonist? Why is she behaving like this way around you? How is it going to diverge from the plot? Like, it's doing stuff. And it's also like, you know, doing funny and interesting stuff with like the whole sort of RPG mechanics as well. Um, so you know what? I, I am enjoying this, um, which is which is good, because we have like multiple villainous uh, scenarios this season, and I don't know, give us one a shot if that's a trope that you're interested in, I reckon. Nice. Yeah, my, my issue with the premiere was mostly that it spent a lot of its run time farting around and getting and waiting to the end of the episode to get to the thing that's apparently the first scene of the manga okay <laughs> so which was the most fun part of the episode so I'm, I'm glad that now that it's thoroughly into the meat of the source material it's it's been a lot of fun i don't know that i'll go back to it but i'm happy for folks who are enjoying it mm -hmm. all right uh well we need to keep moving on because we're about yeah gotta motor on along um i don't really have anything to add for tis time for torture it, I'm, I'm a couple episodes behind, uh, but it's basically, can, it's the kind of show that's still exactly what it was um, when I reviewed the premiere, which I quite liked a lot. If you didn't get into that first episode, you will, this is not the show for you. It is doing the same thing every week with new characters, and either you find it cozy or you don't. But I like it a lot. Um, it, it is absolutely top tier food porn, except of course for the other food porn show this season. <laughs> Uh, uh, seventh time loop nobody on the call is watching uh, but Chiaki did a short little write up for it on the third episode check in which I believe still holds true she and D are both continuing to really enjoy it just as a nice little character um, romance of the I think I am um, I think they described it as the you know why is my fiance acting like this sort of subgenre of romance? Um, and it's it's another title that seems really fun, uh, has a has a dynamic sort of heroine, and I just not have not had time to get to it. Um, but yeah, that sounds like if you're looking for um, you know a a villainous series that's more solidly in the romance genre, um, and it's using the the time loop mechanic to really believably give its its heroine you know all of her many multifaceted skills that she can pull out in x situation it seems like it's doing really well uh mr villain's day off i was enjoying but i feel like i'm too far behind on it to comment 
uh, seems like you're the same, yes, Alex. Yes, yeah, I haven't. It feels like a good show to put on and binge, kind of, like, while you're chilling out and doing other stuff. That, that is, like, not to say that, you know, it's it's worthless because it's, like, a silly, fluffy, supernatural comedy show, but I, yeah. That was, that was kind of the vibe that I got. I think I'll return to that one at the end of season and see how we go. Mm-hmm. Ishura, I think I will come back around to talk about at end of season. Uh, you know, I didn't end up writing the three episode for it because we were just stacked for time. But, um, you know, I'd love to tell you if it's still uh, how it's doing with the protagonist we met in the first episode and her PTSD. And But we haven't, uh, I haven't seen her again because every episode keeps introducing entirely new characters who are all going to be joining in this uh, tournament. And they're interesting little side stories, but, you know, it's it was la- um, starting to get to the point where, oh, no, you're going at this the rate you're going, you're going to be s- introducing so many things that you're going to get to the tournament at the end of this anime. Mm-hmm. We can't be doing this. Oh, <laughs> Which, yeah. So, yeah, I'll I'll catch back up on that one and let you all know at, at end of season. I think that one, because it's on Hulu, has sort of uh gone under the radar but it is interesting in some ways you checked in on dr elise i did i'm not like fully caught up to that to the mid-season mark but i watched a couple more episodes and it uh confirmed my kind of prediction that once the setup of the first episode is finished and she gets launched back into the fantasy world but with all of her knowledge of (laughs) two whole lives it kind of just goes back to being a more typical, straightforward, uh, you know, reincarnation isekai slash villainess situation, which is fine, but is a bit boring. <laughs> Bless its little heart. Um, which is a shame because, like, you know, it's kind of an interesting premise. It's like, yeah, she's bringing modern medical knowledge back to a sort of medieval-ish, generically European fantasy world. Um, but I unfortunately maintain my review that like the setup of the first episode where a former villainess fantasy character has to live in the real world and deal with modern technology and learn to be a better person that would have been a more unique and interesting setup and I would like to watch the whole show of that instead of it going back to something more uh, familiar but you know if you like uh, that more straightforward genre give it a shot you don't see as many reverse isekai with the the villainous genre, which um, you don't. Which is too bad. Yeah. I mean, you see that there is there is a show that um, from a, from a few seasons ago that uh, dabbled in that a little, but I feel like that's spoilery, so mm. we'll leave that aside. <laughs> uh, moving on up, you are you and Peter are both watching the Demon Prince of Momochi House, are and you're an anime only viewer, right? I am indeed. Yes. So, first of all, I'll say oh, no. thank you to Dee for uh-huh. being so sad in the three-episode check-in that no one else was watching this, that I said, look, Dee, mm-hmm. please dry your tears. It sounds interesting. I'll go check it out. Um, and I am enjoying it. I think there's a couple of crunchy things that I will want to, like, talk through and maybe, like, content warn people about. But it's fun. It's, like, a nice little, like, kind of monster of the week, uh, you know, Japanese folklore kind of series that's it's doing some interesting stuff that I'm, and I'm really liking the vibe and the aesthetic I would be interested to check out the manga and see how it's different in terms of pacing because from what D has said it's compressing some stuff um and really scooting along through things to I don't know if it's to its detriment but it's it's a bit what did what did they say a bit utilitarian in its adaptation 
Yeah, she she mentioned it was almost going like double time through the manga and for um my understanding is cutting a lot of the fun flavor, especially with the heroine, which seems like a bummer. Mm. So I, I think her her stance was like the anime's okay, uh still she really loves the manga. Mm-hmm. Well look and highly recommend. That. I will take that recommendation for sure. Yeah, well, I know that a lot of the uh, personal space stuff, uh, at least according to D, reads differently in the manga because of the room it has to breathe. Yes, know? the personal space thing was one of the uh, crunchy things that I was going to mention, which was already mentioned in the three episode, and I think is tracking along. It's I can totally understand why it's uncomfortable, but I I think that the narrative, even this like much more compressed version, has kind of put enough work in that I understand from context. Like, okay. This guy has not had a normal life at all because he's been like sucked away into this supernatural spiritual role when he was a child and he's very touch starved and kind of doesn't know how to behave. And so like that characterization makes sense. And also I think I'm a bit more forgiving of it because like the rest of his characterization, he's just a nice boy. Like he's not smarmy or gross or deliberate about it. He's, he seems quite sweet and you know, you could do far worse for like, I don't know, overbearing shoujo uh, male love interests. Um, <laughs> so I think I'm, I'm all right with on that. The other thing I will mention, um, which like, again, I was fine with, but I can totally understand people being uncomfortable with, is there's like a brief cross-dressing gag in I think episode four, because some classmates come over and Himari, the protagonist, is like, you guys can't, like, if they find out that I'm living with three men that I'm not related to, it's going to be a shambles. There's going to be a scandal in town. And the solution that the uh, spirits come to with that is to dress in beautiful kimonos and wigs and be like, hello, classmates, we are Himari's sisters. And she's like, oh my god, you guys are so embarrassing. So (laughs) the joke, I think, is less haha, men in dresses, and more these goofy yokai don't know quite normal human conventions that are just trying to be helpful um and they look great so that you know that was my read on it but i can understand being a bit icked out by that along the way um (laughs) i'm wishing well for it the manga's been on my to do or to read list uh for a while since i know caitlin and d are both fans so yeah i i really hope folks give one of the versions a shot because it's nice to see shoujo say do well yeah i mean Uh, any last points to add for it like, I, I mean, I was going to agree with you. I think I'm interested in checking out the manga. And we have that mug and shirts and everything else that's like, watch more shoujo. And I'm also trying to follow that uh, creed. So <laughs> I'll be sticking with this one until the end. Uh, let's move on to, I feel like, um, certainly uh, in our corner of the internet, the show of the season, which is Delicious in Dungeon. Which is kind of everything I could have wanted from a manga I really, really like. <laughs> Yeah, no, I'm I'm a couple episodes behind, but it seems to be adapting the manga quite directly, which means that it's doing everything I liked about the manga, but in color and in motion and with great voice acting. So <laughs> I don't have anything to complain about. I also don't know that we necessarily have anything we need to like check in with or flag for our purposes here. Um, what do you reckon? Not especially. Like, it's sort of back. You know, we're we're sort of getting to the point now where it's dialing away from as you know i love her but i think those that first volume and the first episode or two go really hard on on marcel as is kind of like the sheltered picky eater who's you know the no fun girl mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um and i think 
it, it, it backs off of that quickly, but it, it's still a thing that, you know, can be annoying to people. Um, yeah, no, I... But yeah, I think it's, it, it's well backed off from that. And also, I, I just want to say, I, we've been watching it dubbed, and it's it's a great dub. It's a great dub. Um, Sugon Cho is uh, Senshi, and Casey Mongilo is um, Chilchuk. And I'm, I'm just always glad to see, uh, to, to hear them in things. And also the, uh, the gal from Fear Street is playing Marcel and doing a really good job. Oh, hell yeah. Lovely. Yeah. I heard, um, that someone show got the role in the dub and was super stoked about it. So I- I'm watching it in the Japanese, but honestly, I'll go back and rewatch it in the dub just to get that and just to support him. Cause yeah, good for him. Um, I will say as well on like Marcel, like, yeah, I totally agree. I had that same kind of moment of like, okay, she's the only girl in the main cast and she's very much like the neurotic, naggy kind of character, which made me a bit uncomfortable. But also I was torn between that and being like, oh, she's so me. That's exactly what I would do in this situation. <laughs> like, I find her so funny and so relatable. Um, but yeah, she definitely like she gets more depth, I think, the further you go along. So now I'm like, okay, she's just like me for real, but in a more uh, balanced kind of way. Plus, we either have met or are about to meet some more female adventurers to kind of balance out the ladies in the cast, I believe. So that is also good. Yeah, we th- there's um, it, it's starting to introduce more of the female characters. And yeah, seconding that Marcel has that extremely gifted kid in the real world for the first time energy and it's powerfully relatable um but she cracks she cracks me up she's so good it's such a bummer that it's on netflix but yeah i i love it a lot my partner and i watch it together every week and it is a delight isn't that funny that like for for all of us who are much more embedded in the anime scene something being on netflix is like oh that's a whole nother streaming service that's so like a bit more inaccessible whereas like i will talk to normies you know, I mean that affectionately, who only watch anime on Netflix and would consider getting Crunchyroll or High Dive an extra kind of thing. So in that way, it's actually more accessible to the rest of the wider world. So I, I don't know, funny funny dichotomy going on there. I don't have a point to make with that, just like an observation that I've made recently talking to anime about, <laughs> talking about anime with people. They're like, oh yeah, I watched a bunch of this stuff because it was on Netflix and it was real good. I was like, oh, that's right. People only watch Netflix anime. I've embedded in this. I'm up to my neck in this world, so I kind of forgot. So in that way, it's nice because it means you know it may reach a wider audience. Uh, in that sense, yeah, yeah, that's true. And it's captioned in the in English. Yes, unlike certain services I could name. Mm, indeed. Mm-hmm. Mm. Uh, but moving on <laughs> to solo leveling, which seems like it really just kind of discarded the things that it was potentially interesting about its world building uh yeah like like villainous level 99 uh i was foreshadowing uh it also has a dichotomy where it turns out i don't know if it's supposed to be a video game but there are definitely like uh it's like the main character is special because he's the only one who can see his heads up display and get quests uh, so like little windows appear and say you have a quest and he has to complete the quest and then he can level up and so I think he's the only person in the world who can level up and knows that there's quests so I don't know if that the real world is an, is a video game or something like that but rather than I don't know uh, explore some sort of horror you might experience when you if it when I'm potentially discovering that 
the entire world that you thought reality that you existed within is might be a video game or is some sort of video game for some sort of higher being. Um, it just is a means for him to amass a lot of power very quickly uh, and a really convenient narrative means by which he can, any sort of plot point can be introduced very conveniently <laughs> because he gets a quest for it and he has to do it, otherwise bad stuff happens to him. There's a penalty if he doesn't do the quest. For example, uh, he gets betrayed by some people and he gets a quest to kill all of them or his heart will stop. That is the penalty. So he basically has <laughs> oh. never never killed anyone ever before. Uh, he is obligated to kill all four of them or he will die and that's how he becomes a murderer. <laughs> and uh, the framing is, oh, well, it's it's me or them. The, the, the dungeon wants me to live, so this is the only choice I have. And uh, then he... He was in a situation where they were going to kill him because they were bad guys, but definitely a... I don't know if that was supposed to absolve him of <laughs> the the guilt of murder uh, when he potentially could have run away or something like that. So yeah, he, he kills all those guys and completes the quest. So it, it kind of is a way of, I guess, directing his actions. So I, I don't know where or if this is supposed to lead anywhere just beyond keeping him moving and keeping him leveling up and being really cool. Have we seen any more women <laughs> would be my question. Because I have not uh, checked back in with this one since I did the three episode. And yeah, are there still like three female characters only? Have we seen, have they gotten any more screen time? That'd be my main question for the moment. Yeah, the traumatized healer is still traumatized. Uh, they have shown the cool blonde girl a couple more times. Uh, they talk about how she like completed a quest all by herself or something. Or cleared a dungeon. Nobody knows about quests. Um <laughs> And he still has his sister and his mom, who are uh, very nice people who need him to definitely keep making money so that he can support them. Hmm. And that's, yeah, no other women. Yeah. Okay. Yay. <laughs> yeah, so no, I it's... guess there's a short answer. It doesn't have, it's not doing anything with the capitalism thing uh, Man, or the new video game thing. That's, that either. that's kind of a bugger, because like I said in the premiere review, that was the thing that was the most interesting about it for me, was that world-building thing of like... Hey, yeah, if isekai mechanics existed in the real world, we would absolutely capitalize on it and make it a money-making hellscape real quick. So if it's not digging any deeper into that, that's kind of a shame. Yeah, we'll, we'll see if this whole, like, because, you know, they introduced the idea of, like, bad parties who will, like, you know, they, they kill some sort of adventure and then they can loot the dungeon or something like that. Maybe that'll expand back out into talking about how the whole structure of this thing sets people against each other. Uh, kind of, what do they call that? The prisoner's dilemma type situation. Um, but uh, based on what's happened so far, I think it's just going to be about him doing cool shit. Right. It's just a, a vessel for action scenes, which is a bummer. It's a that's too bad. Mm -hmm. uh, we're moving on. I don't actually have all that much to add about Sengoku Yoko. I think it's really luxuriating in that nice long episode run that it's got. So we're still really getting to hang out with the cast and establish stakes, which, you know, is extremely novel. Mm. Yeah. Remember two core <laughs> anime? Crazy. <laughs> Why? Or even more. Yeah. Three core. Goodness gracious. Like, <laughs> I feel like I'm a little bit grading on a curve because Shonen, uh, specifically Battle Shonen. Um, so like if I really wanted to drill down and be mean, I could talk about how so far it's set up that men are fighters and women are communicators to the point that... You know, even Shakugan 
the katawara that allows her to do combat fighting is a guy, of course. But the, I don't I don't actually feel that up in arms about it. I, I am glad that my only concern or the, the, the one major concern I listed in my three episode check in was whether Tama was going to keep being kind of sidelined. And the episodes that have come out since then have really let her, you know, blaze on ahead as like the talker of the group so i'm i'm happy for now um i i it's kind of a novelty uh watching a show that has time to set up its story but clearly has ideas yeah mm-hmm. and therefore probably not a whole lot to say until we're at least at the wrap-up if not later i suspect so yeah i i i, I imagine we'll get to at least s- s- Presumably we should get to something fairly meaty to chew on by the end of episode 12. But yeah, it'll still be in its first third. So we'll check back in later. Uh, on the flip side of shows that, uh, of a show that has a lot of time to really, you know, set up its themes and its characters and let you get into their dynamic. Metallic Rouge is happening. <laughs> yeah, what the heck? <laughs> I've been referring to it, uh, or at least I've been referring to it in in the Slack as a two-core show with its legs cut off. Oh, no. Yeah, I feel like I really liked the last episode, and I feel like if it was kind of uh, a Cowboy Bebop-esque, you know, a bunch of non-related episodes with them just kind of palling around and maybe fighting a robot at the end of each episode, that would be pretty neat. Um, But it definitely has some sort of larger plot it's trying to... Uh, construct around these events, uh, which uh, doesn't seem to really know what it's doing with the themes that it's playing with. Yeah, I I liked episodes five and six, honestly. Like, I felt five was really pretty and doing a lot of of cool, surreal imagery. And I think when the show is tightly focused in on just Rouge and, like, this fun thought experiment about a single AI sort of feeling her way towards self-determinism and also cool episodic space adventures are happening. Mm -hmm. I think that the show's really fun when it does that. Like you said, like Bebop or um, not quite Dirty Pair. It's not madcap enough for that, but like space adventure stuff. I think it's good at that. But then you have stuff like episode four where it's this extremely yikesy, heavy-handed story about oppression that's really thudding and poorly paced and just doing a lot of violence to dark-skinned characters uh, to try and drive home a point that's not as smart as it thinks it is. David Cage-esque. <laughs> it, it really is press X to emancipate levels mm. of bad. It, it bums me out because I like when the show is on, I actually really have a good time with it. Yeah, and it feels like that the, that part is going to be uh, kind of un... It, it's integral to the larger plot since it's about artificial life, right? Mm-hmm. So I feel yeah. like there's no escaping that becoming a larger part of the story. Our early experience with it has not been great, so it's something I'm not looking... I'm not too optimistic about, I guess I'll say. I will say at this point, as despite the fact that I enjoyed him in the premiere, uh discount knives the joker has really worn out his welcome by now is he dead actually i feel like he died at the end of that episode no no team rocket's blasting off again we didn't see a body he ain't i guess so (laughs) he was just 
kicked toward the planet Earth so that he would burn up on reentry was the idea. But yeah, I guess yeah. there's no body. It's like, you know, that, yeah. But yeah, he hasn't really done, he's, I don't know. He's not even really funny anymore. So, although yeah. he, him turning into a dog was some deranged. <laughs> some deranged that was some really you know. fun animation that I enjoyed, yeah. Yeah, the, the chase scene was extremely good. Yeah, when the show wants to be funny, it's really, it's really funny. So... I'm sorry, as you said, about episode five, I'm kind of glad we have an idea of what the hell Rouge is doing at all, because it seems like she was very at odds with her own sympathies, hunting down these AI people who are just trying to live like normal humans. Um, but we'll see where that's going, too. Yeah, that we really, like, started the show a third of the way into the show, it feels like, and mm -hmm. rushed a bunch of developments that weren't necessarily earned, and it was an absolute death. Uh, for the pace and enjoying enjoyment when they split up um, Rouge and Naomi because their yeah. dynamic is is easily the best part and but yes. it was also too soon to come to that conflict and it's it's weird it's it's weird every time the show tries to do earnest drama on that level it feels like it's been floundering because yeah. it doesn't I think because it doesn't have time mm -hmm. I don't know so it's one I'm gonna watch till the end I think but I don't think i recommend people pick it up you know same here i'm just hoping i can get yeah. as much uh, fun out of it as i can and uh just be try to be optimistic about everything that else happens without setting my expectations high enough that i crashed <laughs> right yeah. yeah i was gonna say maybe maybe it'll end up like vivi but vivi didn't really have like vivi wasn't really so much actively bad at its thought experiment as it was like stronger at its individual character stories and then the the overarching thematic stuff didn't really tie together so that's mm -hmm. not quite the same thing ah, well. <laughs> but i think ev i think everyone kind of dropped fluffy paradise uh chiaki was the only one sort of keeping up with it and i think i will refer folks back to her three episode check-in which was to the tune of, you know, it's fluffy and then sometimes it's extremely heavy handed in a not very nuanced way about its weird stapled on racism plot. Yeah, I'm morbidly curious about what's going to happen with that, but uh, <laughs> I just the rest of the show hasn't been enough to keep me watching it. All right, that moves us up to our top bracket. I am an episode or two behind on Cherry Magic. Uh, so, Alex, you want to go oh, ahead? Oh, my gosh. So, yes, I do. Thank you. I have a lot of, like, big unorganized feelings about Cherry Magic that I was not expecting to have at the start of the season. Um, I, I kind of want to talk about a little bit of a... It's kind of a spoiler, technically, but I also feel like it will maybe, like, you know, encourage people to, to jump in. Uh, do you mind if I do that, Bri? given that you yourself are a couple episodes behind. Yeah, go for it. Go for um, it. I the don't, the I don't. slow burn has ignited and they are actually gotten together. This is not going to be one of those love stories that like drags on for as long as it possibly can. Um, and so now we're actually going to see them like in a relationship, which is really interesting, I think. Because I don't know, if, I have no idea if this is intentional or not, but I think the show is doing a weirdly good job at playing with like the kind of weird, you know, weird in a beautiful way, the beautifully weird sideways intimacies and like unconventional trajectories that queer relationships can sometimes take 
like, you know, in, in this case, it's like, okay, first base is telepathy and literally reading his mind and finding out he's in love with you. Second base is pining for each other from afar and working at your confusing feelings for however many months. Third base is a big dramatic confession of love in the middle of the street. And fourth base is maybe going on a date. Um, <laughs> and obviously, without the telepathy, um, I feel like that is extremely relatable to, like, it, not necessarily all queer relationships, obviously, and not exclusive to queer relationships either, but I feel like sometimes you can have that, <laughs> they can take that kind of funny non-normative shape where you will end up with, yeah, like maybe you actually go on a date and hold hands after you have dealt with all of your complicated feelings of, of figuring yourself out and realizing that you're in love with each other and what that means. Um, so I'm excited to see how that goes, honestly. Like, I think I think it's sweet. There are a couple of things that... Did Tony make some notes on this one um, as well? Uh, yeah, they did. They did. They, um, they mentioned that... Um, yeah, they also mentioned that, you know... There's gonna be we've we've gotten our love confession, so now we get to see the re um the relationship develop. Mm -hmm. I was gonna say, did they mention the um extra subplot, which is one of their female coworkers uh, really ships them together, <laughs> which is um hmm, maybe like okay, it's it's in that spot where in the context of the show it's kind of funny because it's this like telepathic comedy of errors where. He brushes up against her, reads her mind, and she'll be like, oh, I really love Adachi. And he'll be like, oh, what the hell? And will like flinch away. And so he doesn't hear the second half of her thought, which is, I really love Adachi in a relationship with Kurosawa, who is his love interest. Like she's a, you know, full-blown fangirl of the idea of them together. Um, and so, yeah, so he multiple times to the point where it's just getting silly. He's like, wait, is she in love with me? But she actually does not. That's not how she feels. She wants to see them smooch. Um, so yeah, in the context of like, it's a misunderstanding via mind reading, you know, sure. Not a bad joke, but obviously the trope of like, yeah, I, uh... <laughs> um, <laughs> that feels like it's a joke from about 10 years ago. Is that like... <laughs> Is that is that a read that anybody else gets? Does that feel like a slightly more maybe old fashioned, um, maybe tired, maybe yeah, insensitive? Yeah, I think used, um, the the sort of the sort of in um, the sort of in universe cheerleader for for the love interests. I mean, like it's not that old. There's a version of it in Bloom into You where you know the the ace character is sort of. Uh, really invested oh for um, sure i'm thinking in, more in, specifically in terms of like the fujoshi character who wants to see these hot men all over each other and is like maybe meant to be an audience surrogate in that way yeah. and that's kind of that's kind of most I of what it, she's got going on as a like character kiss him not me yes exactly yeah, yeah 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 that too yeah, yeah. um but it's, this especially kind of like she's not the protagonist in this she's like she's a side character who's like in this bl series who wants yeah. to see the characters hook up which, you know, in the context of the in the universe, those are like your two real human co-workers. So that's a bit, I, yeah, I don't know. What do you, what do you think? <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's, it's one of the, um, I think Tony mentioned not in their notes where, um, but just sort of as we were chatting that they, they were also uh, sort of enjoying the way this specific character was used for like the comedic shenanigans. Um, yeah, I'm, I don't know. I, I personally don't maybe don't think that 
the broad question, the like the broad zero sum question of, but is BL fetishizing is necessarily super useful? Any uh, is increasingly less useful as the genre expands mm-hmm. and changes, and a you know over for more than a decade there's been like a lot of change in who's making it and who's reading it and maybe who's always been reading it um but also who it's marketed toward but yeah i think i think it maybe um echoes the ghost of that question in the worst possible way when yeah like you said there's there is now this character who's yeah supposed to be there as the fun audience surrogate but if the in-world logic is this person is like drooling over her like actual in-universe real co-workers and that's kind of weird and uncomfortable Mm, but i guess yeah i guess like especially (laughs) after um like especially when sasaki and miyano had a really nice um little uh quiet episode beat about that where they they go to the movies and they feel sort of uncomfortable about the fact um that they've gone to a bl movie and like the mainly female audience who are there are like whispering about whether they're there on a date and they feel really uncomfortable about Mm it Mm -hmm. yeah i guess maybe it'll come down to like what else does the narrative do with that like you know what what else is she as a character um that's that's the kind of the main thing that's like sort of nibbling at me but honestly yeah like i'm i'm enjoying the show an unexpected amount and i am really enjoying the pacing too that now like we're progressing through this complicated feelings and pining stage um and now we're gonna have to work out well first of all we're gonna we're gonna have to work out this is a huge world building question is like if these two are now in a relationship are they ever gonna are they ever gonna have a sexual relationship and does he lose his telepathy that's gonna be so fascinating to find out because we're like well of course he'll lose his mind reading powers but then one of my friends was like wait no what if the magic is homophobic and so it doesn't count it as being like quote unquote losing your virginity if you sleep with someone of the same sex (laughs) real questions very serious world building questions (laughs) um but anyway look (laughs) i was gonna say we can get into those deeper questions further along but yeah for, for the midpoint i am excited to see that it's pacing along the way that it is and now we're gonna get like yeah a story about two adult men trying out a romantic relationship and what that's gonna look like for them like that's gonna be really interesting i think and really nice yeah um and tony also mentioned that they were really looking forward to sort of how the show was starting to unpack adachi himself as like a flawed protagonist who kind of has this uh misanthropic disdain for other people that's not necessarily you know Mm -hmm. that maybe he should get over at like in addition to as he's working on this relationship and i yeah, I think that's nice, because um, I think in the first episode, he's sort of deceptively bland, mm-hmm. you know? <laughs> yes, I think so. Yeah. I also want to shout out for folks at home, like, if you're somebody who really doesn't, um, who really leans towards the negative uh, side of, you see a Fujoshi character in, um, like, in-universe in a show, and you're like, no, I don't want to deal with that, Um I have not watched it yet, but the live-action drama version of Cherry Magic is really well-regarded. It's also on Crunchyroll. And um, the scriptwriter for the live version uh, changed that character specifically, where instead of um, being, like, the the Fujoshi cheerleader character, she is actually Arrow Ace. Oh! Uh, So I think that's neat. That is neat. Why'd you look at that? All right. Uh, I'm going to try and be quick about... Brave Bang Bravern because I'm the only one watching it, which is a shame. 
It's a sad shame. It makes me sad. Uh, this is probably the show I look forward to the most every week, uh, and it also sort of really frustrates me because it's like the apparently is the running theme of this season. It's kind of running out of time. It feels like to uh, sell uh, to to pull off what I had initially hoped would be sort of a, a, a satire of, or subversion of all this like really bombastic military imagery that it's had from pretty much the word go. Um, Cause yeah, it's, it's a lot of, um, it's a lot of fun. It's still very homoerotic, but it's weird that I had six episodes in, I'm still not sure whether it's going to commit to, an actual sincere romance between uh, Lewis Smith and Isami, uh, despite th the deep soul-connecting conversations and um, extremely sweaty boxing matches <laughs> and Top Gun imagery everywhere. I'm, I'm having a hard time because it's... Like, it's such a fun send Like, it's a fun tongue-in-cheek parody of, like, super robot shows, right? Where he, you know, Bravern is enamored of heroism and he projects his own in-universe music and like title cards behind him when he introduces himself and he takes the time of a spe um, to do a special attack on the enemy robot so that it can speak human language because, you know, they need to be able to monologue at each other. And there's a lot of really fun um, notes like that that are clearly because Obari has been making super robot anime for a long time. But I also think that if if it's just doing that, sort of a goofy but sincere super robot thing, it really makes the stuff that's like all of the extremely pro-military stuff really uncomfortable. Because I cannot stress enough that the first episode of this anime opens with what appears to be a fully militarized Japan and... America doing fun, like, practice uh, engagements together in Hawaii, and then aliens attack a Hawaiian naval base, and nobody says anything about how this may or may not be connected to history at all. Hmm. I didn't know that part. That's a bold move. It's very odd in its omission. And then mm -hmm. in the second character, uh, in the second episode, you know, Isami, our protagonist who's been chosen to to drive the super robot gets waterboarded by u.s intelligence which is really dark and we haven't gone to a place quite that dark again except for maybe all of tokyo got bombed and there weren't any civilian survivors oh geez okay okay yeah it's really kind of tonally all over the place but also we have all these big moving speeches about this brotherhood of, of soldiers who were going to, sa you know, band together to save one another's countries and the entire world. And it, like, and it, like rapturous discussions of how cool X or Y ship um, or plane is. It's like, okay, this is, this is all sort of interesting, but I need you to be going somewhere with it. And at that point, I'm just realizing, I want this to become Samurai Flamenco. And then I get sad and a little bit salty because Samurai Flamenco is about to become lost media in America. So Ooh. I really want this to come together and pull off doing a thing because I think it's just this cocktail of extremely potent imagery and potential themes and gay shit, which are all of my favorite things. <laughs> but I don't know. I'm, I'm not super confident that 
it's going where I hope it will, you know? Hmm. Hmm. Well, that sounds like a, a lot yeah. in the official definition. <laughs> yeah. Again, it is the show I I easily look forward to the new episode of the most every week. Yeah, all I see are uh, Twitter clips, which are pretty insane. All of them are very insane. It, it It is truly a show that never quits, which I do think I mean affectionately. I, mm. At the end of the day, I love a show that will be unrepentantly weird at me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, all right, looking let's... forward to hear if it pays off in the end. Fingers crossed. Mm. Let's close out on a sign of affection. I am not up on the anime, although I have um, read and really enjoyed what I've read of the manga. So, uh, yeah, y'all go ahead. I So, first of all, I think the most important thing to say is that, like, I can't comment on like the representation of disability in the show because i you know i would defer to our deaf and hard of hearing um audience members on that one um and indeed there's still like some really interesting discussion that was happening even just in the comments section of the premiere review um as a love story though as like a coming of age story i am enjoying it i think it's very like it's doing a nice balance between like it's little sort of more comedic moments and it's very like personal stakes very low-key very gentle story about like a relationship coming together because i mean you know unexpected fun parallel to cherry magic the main couple of this is also getting together um during the runtime of the show um but it's also about a main character who is really like consciously trying to come out of her shell and expand her world and is not always 100 percent sure on how to do that but is doing her absolute best and is, you know, it's, it's, it's slow burn, but it's rewarding to watch, you know, she's, she's putting herself out there. She's having new experiences and she's surrounded by, well, she, I really like her, like, I don't remember her name, but her short haired, supportive, like cool friend. I love her a lot. Um, and I love their, like, the bartender love interest of her that they're, like, really, like, they also have a romantic subplot, but they're mostly bonding at the moment about how they're, like, rooting for Yuki and Itsumi to get together, which I think is really cute. Um, and, yeah, like, the biggest sticking point for this one for me so far, and I don't know what exactly what the narrative is doing with it, is, like, the childhood friend character who is, I want to say he's like the other point in a love triangle that's happening, but Yukiri doesn't really seem interested in him beyond the platonic. Oh, she? Um, yes, him. The one who, like, um, was, did you make a joke, Peter, earlier that, like, he learned sign language just to be a jerk to her? Because, um, <laughs> yeah, he's kind of, like, overprotective and overbearing and also, like, goofs around and teases her and, like, you know, like, curls his finger up in her hair and tugs on it and stuff, as if they're still little kids. And it's, like, it's kind of a weird dynamic. I feel like it's... I feel like the story is, like, doing something with that, where it's like, no, no, this is a pain in the ass, and this is something that she needs to, like, navigate. But it hasn't quite drilled into it enough um, that... There's possibly a narrative purpose for this, but at the moment, he is just on a purely emotional level. He's annoying the shit out of me, and I could do without him. (laughs) What do you think, Peter? Uh, yeah, it's interesting because he's the one being uh, an annoying turd, but also he seems to be the one who is most aware of, like, uh, I, he's the one who's most, I guess, knowledgeable about uh, deaf people since he grew up around one. So he knows that, like, if you just come up behind him and, you know, hit him on the shoulder, they can't hear you coming up behind them. So it can 
potentially startle them. Uh, I'm glad it is kind of interested in that kind of stuff. I believe they, in the manga, they had some consultation, so I, I, I am hoping that that stuff is accurate. But yeah, again, like none of us really can say for sure since uh, we, don't, we, we haven't experienced that ourselves. I want to say it's interesting how it's incorporating that into the story because I think uh, Oshi is very aware of that kind of stuff, but also, and he's, obvi- he's obviously romantically interested in Yuki, um, but, and, and like to the point where he potentially learned sign language <laughs> just to just to talk to mm-hmm. her. Um, but it's also kind of obvious that he's being overbearing and doesn't really think of her as completely like an autonomous person person mm-hmm, mm-hmm. uh so he he like doesn't think she should have gone to college and kind of wants to keep her safely away from uh other people it feels like uh meanwhile uh her actual love interest itsomi is like the other side of the coin where he is like very physical he kind of walks up and like immediately he, like literally grabs her by the head and stuff like that uh so th- all that stuff could potentially be problematic however she also and she she's kind of admitted that that might normally be a problem but she's kind of given affirmative consent saying like uh oh if it's you i don't mind uh so uh he kind of has carte blanche to do that i and again i don't this is like very it's a very complicated situation so um she said it's okay. Uh, I, yeah, but again, I like I don't know what that experience might be like for someone in there. But right, you said you uh, you know, did exact situation that they're under the writing. Um. Yeah. So Morishita did an interview that they included. Uh, it's on Kodansha's mm. website, and it's also at the end of the first volume, yeah, um, yeah. where the it's actually a a writer artist team, uh, mm-hmm. who do. Who who do the manga? Um. And they uh, interviewed, uh, the, I know they, they did some interviews, um, they did some, um, they mentioned doing a lot of reading, and then they have someone who is um, an active consultant um, who did ongoing work with them for the manga, uh, Yuki Miyazaki. Uh, she's their supervisor, um, specifically in terms of sign language and how it is is used for communication in the manga. Uh, so, yeah, I think, like, obviously, the fact that they worked hard, you know, working hard at something doesn't mean that, and therefore they nailed it in every respect. Um, yeah. But I do think that they are taking it seriously. Um, I will say, like, I'm not, I am not somebody who is hard of hearing. I have processing issues, um, which affect, like, I need to use, I use captions and stuff, and I have hard times in groups of noise, but it's, like, it's a different thing. There's overlapping issues, but it's not the same thing as being uh, part of the hard-of-hearing community. Uh, so for me, like, um, but I think it is worth uh, shouting out the discussion that Alex mentioned. Um, a lot of, um, there was definitely some talk about whether or not um, Yuki as a character is... Um, is there's maybe an infantilizing element to her because she's so sheltered, which, you know, I think is an interesting discussion to have because um, I think the modern landscape of anime is very influenced by the fact that during the Moe boom, um, there was definitely this trend of making a character quirky in such a way that it ends up coming across as disability coding sort of inadvertently. And 
but also the purpose of that is to, you know, make this character uh, cute and adorable and, like, you want to protect them and have them depend on you. And I don't think... I. I think it grew and evolved and changed from there where like now you end up with series that are visually very influenced from that start, like the, the, the air and Canon and all of that stuff. Um, but you move in and you get stuff like Bochi the rock or, um, Stardust um, telepath. Oh God, I can't remember her now. Oh. Uh, no, I, I was thinking of, um, the wonderful, uh, the wonderful girl from uh, Bang Dream, It's My oh, Go, yes, who yes, is yes, just, yes. I, I thought, a, a really, a really sensitively, wonderfully, um, wonderful depiction of, of autism uh, coding. Um, so I, and I, I think you, I think that it's grown and changed and, and allowed for that in some ways. And then I think, but I also think there is still that strain out there on the other end of things where you get like the day I became a god, where at the end the main character takes a takes uh, the twelve year old girl who needs a uh, you know a round the clock caretaker um, away from care because you know he's in romantic love with her, which means that not having any medical training is fine. Mm, love will heal or love in, will fix yeah. it all. Yeah, which I mean. Yeah. <laughs> worth saying i think that what sign of affection is doing well is like not presenting her disability as something that like needs to be fixed or she needs to like quote unquote overcome to live a quote unquote normal life and have a normal relationship like i you know that's obviously um <laughs> that's obviously something that's that's uh, pervasive in some of these narratives and i think I don't know. I think as well, the fact that Yuki is the protagonist and the point of view character is going a long way to endearing me to it. Because even if the representation isn't like 100% spot on, it comes from a better place than like... It has a different vibe rather to something where like uh, the main character is, um, you know, his, his hearing is fine, but he's sort of we're looking at this deaf character through his perspective and through the lens of this is a love interest. Like, with any any kind of anything, um, right. you know, who you are looking at and whose perspective you're being asked to identify with changes the energy of a story and can really change kind of the tone of the representation of um, any kind of marginalised experience. So definitely something that is interesting to me about yeah, sign of affection sure. is yeah that like it's yuki's story first and foremost like we pop off into other characters point of views but we're very much being asked to identify with her and so yeah you know it, it, she she seems like a rounded character to me as you say there is kind of the concern right. maybe she's a bit cute maybe she's a bit sheltered and a bit for want of a better word, childish, but I think that's something like she herself and the narrative is aware of, and she's like trying to grow past that, um, which would be even more interesting than if like Oshi, like the the pushy childhood friend, is kind of being presented as an antagonistic force because he is kind of trying to keep her in that state, and is like, no, no, don't go out with these people, like, you know, do, don't like, I gotta check up on you all the time, make sure you're meeting your curfew. She's like, stop, like, <laughs> dude. Like to the point where she feels like she has to she has yeah. to lie to him and be like, 
uh, I'm going to the library, which is actually meeting up with her love interest because she knows he'll get weird about it. Oh, yeah. she, like <laughs> she lies to him so much. Yeah. <laughs> like it feel I don't know. Yeah. I I can't make the call because we're not the story's not finished, obviously. Yeah. But it feels like it's I don't know engaging with that at least or trying to complicate it. Maybe not as like the main thematic thrust of the story, but it, no, it's it's in conversation with those discussions that you mentioned for sure. Mm-hmm. I just thought it was interesting the way that um, the uh, what happens when you layer um, different character experiences onto existing um, genre conventions, right? Yeah, for sure. Yuki is in some ways like the very archetypical uh, sheltered shoujo protagonist who is, you know, she's in college, but she's also coming out into the world and coming of age in a sense. And so like you have these sort of the fact that she's sheltered and kind of naive and how does that intersect with like stories that have been told about and stereotypes that have been layered onto hard of hearing and deaf protagonists. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I just mm. think that's interesting. Um, and it's also worth mentioning that and Tony wrote about this in their three episode check in, like the sense that that they mentioned um, as somebody who is not deaf, but is more broad um, disabled in other ways, sort of really vibing with this as uh, a story about a disabled person navigating how to date an abled person. And yeah, I don't know. It's a, it's complicated. I'm glad that this show is here. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 It definitely does seem, if nothing else, I said the degree to which it's getting it right is something that we can't say, but it definitely, it seems very, self-aware that there are a lot of pitfalls and kind of like a spectrum of experience that it's dealing with. Uh, and I think it's trying to kind of address it from both sides where uh, there there are like uh, general truths about her condition, but also it uh, there's like a lot of um, personal, it's how her personal experience fits into it. Like the, the stuff about her potentially being startled by people and how she uh, doesn't like individually says it's okay if it's only does that kind of stuff. I think they're they're trying to play in that space. And yeah, yeah, while she is sheltered, I think there's definitely like one of the reasons I believe in in character. She said she wanted to go to a university was because she felt too sheltered by her experience in a school specifically for children who are hard of hearing. Uh, so, and I think that's one of the reasons why she's attracted to Omi because he's always traveling. And uh, there's it it seems to be building into her wanting to kind of share in that experience and see other parts of the world and stuff it's like it just it's, it looks pretty <laughs> there is also that I'm just happy it looks pretty. there is also that it looks very yeah. nice and again Production's as great. always it is lovely to see a like shoujo jose adaptation looking nice and having production values <laughs> like yay that's always yeah. very exciting in and of itself but yeah we'll we'll have to come back to that one in in the end of course see how it all wraps itself up all right, thanks for joining us, Anafam. If you liked what uh, you've heard or read here, you can check us out at animefeminist.com. You can also check out all of our social media by going to linktr.ee slash animefeminist. Uh, most importantly, if you want to help us continue to make the site and the content on it, including paying our lovely transcriptionist for... Uh, inc- including playing our lovely transcriptionist, uh, please consider going to patreon.com slash animefeminist or ko-fi.com slash animefeminist. Every little dollar really does help us continue to do what we do. Uh, Please drop uh, your own thoughts in the comments, uh, especially, again, we would 
love to hear from folks on stuff like sign of affection because it's a really rich, complicated topic that deserves to be talked about more. And until next time, remember, it's important to eat a uh, nutrition dungeon. <laughs> <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs>